शर्म बदतमीज़ संगीता पिलाई एंड दिस इज द मसाला पॉडकास्ट ए स्पॉटिफाई ओरिजिनल वर वी टॉक अबाउट ऑल दो थिंग्स आर वेर नॉट सपोज टू टॉक अबाउट एस साउथ एशियन वुमेन सेक्स सेक्शुअलिटी पेरियड्स मेनपोज मेंटल हेल्थ निपो है शेम एंड मैनी मोर टूज Yeah, um when you said tampon I said wow I am 20 years old and I still don't even think I know how to really put one on <laughs> which is crazy. It's time we heard the voices of real South Asian women, not just those we see in Bollywood or in mainstream western media. It's time we had a real voice, a loud and proud and strong voice. Try to like other South Asian girls um that I talk to that I'm friends with it's like I don't even know where my vagina is like I really don't know anything about like sexual pleasure like I have never even tried that in my own life I've invited some incredible women to join me around my virtual kitchen table and put the world to rights I recorded this episode of Masala podcast at the University of California Berkeley I flew to the US in early March to run writing workshops among the South Asian students at UC Berkeley and I recorded this episode with the lovely Sitara, Emma, Madhavi and Shinali all students at the university it was such a brilliant experience these amazing young women they opened up to me so much and were so vulnerable they spoke about their identity their individual struggles about being south asian and being american and how the two fit together hi and welcome to masala podcast hello hello hi could you start by introducing yourselves and how old you are and what you do right uh, my name is emma i am a senior studying business here at berkeley um and i'm 21 years old my name is shanali i'm a junior studying political science and legal studies at berkeley and i am 20 years old Hi, my name is Sathara. Um I'm also a senior at Berkeley. Um I'm studying cognitive science and I'm 22 years old. Hello everyone. My name is Madhavi and I am a junior at UC Berkeley studying political science and public policy and I am 20 years old. Could we begin by telling someone who's not American what it is like to be South Asian to be a South Asian American woman? What's that like? Um I think that it is kind of an interesting um dichotomy. You grow up in a very whether it is diverse or not, but you you definitely have to recognize um your skin color and your heritage and where you come from being in America. Like people don't always really understand like where your what your culture is about or where you're from. Um I'm Sri Lankan and most people don't have never heard of where Sri Lanka is and could think a million things of where it could be. Um So I think that's kind of an interesting lens on the experience being in America. I think that it's an interesting position that you have to be in where you have to recognize that there is like perhaps a single more mainstream culture and then there is your culture and who you are. Um and navigating that can be difficult. It can also be really easy depending on who you surround yourself with, I think, but definitely balancing those two is struggle. Yeah, I think it really depends on where in America you grow up. So different states obviously have different like numbers of South Asian folks. And so um I grew up in the Bay Area and so it's how like there are tons of South Asian folks here and so for me 
Um, it was very easy to kind of find people that celebrated the same culture. Like I had family friends that my parents grew up with um, that were here and um, a lot of family is here. But I know folks that um, came to college um, to Berkeley and are from Minnesota, from um, other places in um, other states that didn't have those same experiences and coming to Cal really found that culture um, at Berkeley. And so in comparing that to like growing up as South Asian in America, I think one of the biggest things that I've struggled with is understanding how the value system of what it means to be American um, clashes with a lot of times the value systems of our parents who are immigrants. I think we're very different in America and that like I think in Canada and I think um, in even like London and Britain, um, there are a lot more like second, third generation South Asians. I think in the US, you have a lot of folks that are still like first generation um, and a lot of our parents are immigrants. And I think the diaspora has come a little bit slower here. And I think that definitely impacts the way in which we are brought up um, and the values that we have um, that is different, I think, from like the traditional American values. Yeah, and just building on a off of what everyone else said i think a lot of it is just really trying to hold on to your own like own heritage but then also trying to adapt to this american system that you're living with and really trying to find the balance between the two have you experienced any of the taboos that come with being a south asian woman growing up here oh absolutely just there's a range of things you know just with all that comes from sex to periods to dating to like how are you going to do in classes and what other folks say about you in the community you know what activities are you doing it really is navigating that space is hard just because you have these expectations from your friends that you're growing up here but then at home it's a completely different type of expectations that are arisen a big taboo that um, I've kind of seen is um, this idea that um, you're a specific type of person inside the home and outside of the home. Um, and so finding that voice has been um, difficult and understanding that your parents might not have the same type of like ideas that you are getting when you're in school or around friends. And so um, a, a big thing that I've seen is engaging in like political advocacy and social advocacy that is so directly entwined with things like anti-blackness in our community, things like dealing with sexual health. Those are really difficult conversations that when you bring it into your home, like whether it be with my parents or grandparents or just like my aunts and uncles, um, those are conversations that they rarely want to have. And it's been a big struggle trying to push my family to have those conversations. Whereas in college, I think a lot of the girls that and guys that I've surrounded myself with are more open to those conversations are, and are ready to have them, especially at a college like UC Berkeley. I think um, it's been really nice finding that community here. Um, and so trying to like approach those taboos um, at home while understanding that um, it maybe is uncomfortable for um, my parents and for uh, my family members has been really interesting. Yeah, and going off of that, I think sometimes when you clash with your parents, you don't want to disrespect them because that's also a big part of our culture, just respecting your parents. And there's like a, the structure of the family is like inherently hierarchical, but like it's not you know, it's out of love, I guess, and respect, right? So sometimes you don't want to correct your parents or you feel, you know, hesitant to, but um, of course, like having conversation is necessary and can really create some family drama for sure. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, taboos of, um, I think things like 
colorism is a big one, especially because that's like so problematic and um, has like a really deep like ideological basis. But a lot of, you know, our parents' generations and that like in generations before them don't really understand that because it's so heavily inculcated. It's just all you've ever known. And if that's a norm that you've grown up with, it's not going to be something that you let go of anytime soon. So that's a big one. And I think another one I was thinking um, is that stereotype, us South Asian women's going beyond the stereotype, you know, stereotype of being a doctor, an engineer, whatever. Um, I think seeing us in our generation especially push towards roles in music or in film or in art or in sports. Um, I think that's one thing that I took very personally was um, trying to see more South Asian women um, doing whatever they want to do, you know, not to feel pressured or burdened by the stereotype um, to really just push those boundaries. What I was thinking while you were talking was, um, let's do like a fun rapid round kind of thing with taboos, right? Okay. So I'll say a word and say a sentence or whatever comes to your mind. It doesn't have to be anything particularly, you know, enlightening or big or anything. So the word is sex. You're not allowed to have it. Is fun. <laughs> Shame. Me too. What's that? <laughs> well done. <laughs> Queer. Something I've struggled with for a long time to come out with and have just not felt comfortable even being at a place like the Bay Area that is supposedly progressive. Um, feeling very, very uncomfortable understanding my own queer identity. Do you think that's from the culture or do you think that's the environment? What do you think that is? Um, yeah, I do. I think it comes from a place where um, if I'm talking to my mother, um, the question is not, um, oh, like what? Like it, the question is always, oh, like when are you getting a boyfriend? There's no there. It's an it's an assumption um, amongst my aunts, amongst um, my parents that um, I'm going to date a man that um, my partner will be male um, and Every time like they talk about like marriage, I'm like, I'm 22, like I'm pretty young. But uh, my aunts, like when I went to India this past um, winter break, it was already a question of, oh, like, when are you getting married? Like, let's look for like a man, like, let's look for um, arranged marriage I, like options. And I was like, I'm 22 years old. Um, and it might have been a joke, like they might just be bringing it up as a joke. But um, the assumption that who you're going to marry, who you're going to be with is um, a person that is of a singular gender versus even the idea that we can have partners um, of other sexualities, of other identities is, um, I think, understanding that and navigating that for myself and then then accepting that just because I've been told that I had to marry a certain way or date a certain way my entire life, um, just because I was told that doesn't mean that that's what's right. Um, and accepting that for yourself has been um, like my own journey and kind of difficult. Um, yeah. Thank you. Period. That's a lot. I didn't know what a tampon was oh, for the longest time. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I used to swim. I literally, mm. I remember, and it was so awkward whenever I was in middle school and we'd go on these like family trips, right? And I'd have like my male like friends and they're like, oh, why aren't you swimming? And my mom's like, oh, I, I just like these weird things I've had to make up. And it's just, just being so uncomfortable with my own body and just like constantly thinking like it's a chore and it's just made it really, really, really hard to accept it. Yeah, so I actually um, 
had never seen a tampon till freshman year of college. Um, I was sitting in like the hallway of my dorm um, and my friend was like, yeah, like I am going to go like use a tampon. And I was like, oh, can I see it? Because I've never seen one before. And she like opened it for the first time. And I was like, oh, this is what a tampon looks like. Mind you, I'm like 19 years old in college. And I consider myself to be like fairly educated when it comes to like my body and like the idea of sexual health and had never seen a tampon in person, which was incredibly embarrassing to like understand and accept about myself. I was like, oh God, okay. Um, And just like hearing friends be like, yeah, like the first time I even like tried to, like other South Asian girls um, that I talked to that I'm friends with, it's like, yeah, like I don't even know where my vagina is. Like I really don't know anything about like sexual pleasure. Like I have never even tried that in my own life. Um, I've never even like thought about talking to my mom about it because that's not a conversation we would ever have obviously yeah um when you said tampon I said wow I am 20 years old and I still don't even think I know how to really put one on (laughs) which is crazy um yes so that and then the other thing that really struck me was I had the full Sri Lankan coming of age ceremony um which is really great and beautiful in so many ways and I'm so glad that my parents did it but in other ways, <laughs> it's inherently, it's like just inherently patriarchal. You're not supposed exactly. to come in contact with men for like three days. Um, and then you're weirdly like being celebrated, but like you're also like, this is the downfall of my purity. <laughs> it's like a weird place to be in where like people are giving you gold and mm-hmm. gifts for like men- menstruating, <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I mean, great, weird and inherently patriarchal but yeah but in that ceremony you don't mention the word period once oh yes there we go we never you, you do never not say that we're there no we're, it's just no. like we're having a <laughs> you're dressed and you look like purity you look like innocence and you have your gold jewelry on and you eat a traditional meal and you go about it like a normal dinner or whatever um, but never the mention of the word period or yeah. the experience or anything. And going off of that, actually, like thinking back to when I had my period for the first time, um, my aunt had to come over and like wash my feet. And there was like, to put, she put turmeric on my feet and my mom put me in a sari and we didn't celebrate it. But that was the first time that I actually wore makeup and my mom like put makeup on me. And um, thinking back, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I look like a woman now. Like I look like a I look older and I felt so like happy about that but like honestly thinking back to that it's like wow we tie this idea of like womanhood just to this period um and that is so funny to me um and it came up just thinking of you talking about the ceremony um it brought up that memory but when you were talking about the tampon I remembered when I was about 18 or something and I and I couldn't figure out what to do with it yeah, I have, because yeah. the thing is like we're never taught to sort of think of ourselves or our sexual organs yeah. so even yeah. the idea of inserting something is so alien I think I tried once and I gave it up because I was like oh my this is too much and this feels really wrong you know like yeah. the idea of right. wrongness around it right let's think of another word let's go to um, vagina something you hide um talking about keeping your vagina healthy is for some reason considered the dirtiest thing you could do yeah I think when I think vagina I think um sexual pleasure and like understanding like your own vagina and like being comfortable with the idea of like it as not 
just something that is like there that is like something you never like think about something you never like talk about um and it's just like yeah and like it's exactly like Chanel said like the word vagina in my mind for so long was just like a taboo in itself that mm, you yeah. don't mention that you don't really say um versus with a lot of like boys in my life a lot of guys in my life like the word dick is thrown around all the time right yeah. um and it's so funny that amongst women that we like police this idea of what our vagina is and don't really like speak candidly about it a lot of times because we feel dirty talking about it me too don't say that word <laughs> that's a bad word <laughs> what about yeah. vulva yeah. Uh, I, I don't even think what's i knew what yeah what's yeah, a vulva exactly <laughs> like even like to me you know the I, i know that the correct and anatomical word is vulva and not vagina but it's so kind of ingrained even in my own psyche and i i suspect among a lot of people that we kind of interuse those words we mean vulva but we say vagina but again you know it's how not comfortable or familiar we are with those parts i mean sex ed in the us is terrible like it's it's awful um a lot of schools like don't get it you come to college and you are expected to already know it um and so i think there's a huge disconnect when we come to college and um people like are talking about this for the first time you talk about sexual harassment and sexual violence for the first time sometimes in college for a lot of folks um and it's it's scary that we wait till we're like 18 19 years old to have these conversations and then are expecting everyone to come in with this like shared toolbox of what it what like sex ed is when most of us are never given any of those tools growing up right next word is what about shame shame is such an ingrained part of our culture i think i think so i think we always want to because family i think is so important to us we never want to let our families down which means not letting them down to the broader community to our extended family or just even you know in their heads like you don't want their image of you to be tainted or anything so i think so much of what our actions do actually someone at the workshop shared this where she said that even when my parents aren't around i still feel like i'm running all my decisions by them um yeah i think we just our culture conditions us to live for other people which is important because they are the people we love and respect and they are our family but at the same time that is a huge burden to carry because you are trying to pacify so many people and appease so many people and live up to an expectation that is never going to be real and specifically for south asian women themselves like i've literally just men do all the things all the time they can and people are like it's okay but i really appreciate you saying we carry so much of our weight our family's weight and what will people say medhu what what is going to happen like this isn't good this isn't look good like really think about us and putting that emotional blackmail of like what i do my autonomy reflects back onto my family is just this weird reality to live in what about sexual harassment or even this idea of sexual harassment and how taboo that is like we we don't even talk about it um i think that <laughs> i was like really badass as a teenager 
like by the time I was 14, I had a little boyfriend. He was 18 and I was just, now that I think back, I'm like, what was an 18 year old doing with a 14 year old? That is insane. And like similar trends have followed later on. Um, when I was 16, I was not dating, but in a dating like situation with a a man that was 23, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I don't know what a 23, I'm 20, I'm 20 now and looking at a 16 year old, I'm like, you are a child. So what a 23 year old man was seeing in a 16 year old, we will never know. Um, and while that's not, you know, perhaps an overt, that's not an overt like sexual aggression, it's still predatory in a way, indefinitely it is. Um, and it's not something you talk about because it's not really about you in that moment. It's just like, wow, like he thinks you're so pretty. Like, that's a great thing. Like, you should be happy and flattered. And why are you complaining about boys? And it's just so stupid because, yeah, I think about that now at 20. And I'm like, that was that was insane that I let that slide. Yeah, I think there's like a normalization as to like what is considered like sexual harassment, what is considered like sexual violence, like even just talking about harassment itself. um it's sort of normalized and I've seen it become normalized. Obviously, like on a college campus, like we see it. Um, and even within the South Asian community, and unfortunately, I think when we do see it, there is so much hesitancy to call it out. Even if like you're the type of person that would call it out in settings, you feel like you're the one that's going to be shamed if you call it out versus the person who actually engaged in like being a predator and like sexually harassing somebody. Um, there's this idea that if you call someone out, you are going to ruin their reputation. Not that that they've already ruined their reputation by acting that way. Um, and so I think it's been, and like spaces too that we engage in here. I think there's this like toxicity that exists if, uh, like around those conversations and um, everyone kind of tiptoes around it um, and being very blatant about, no, this is sexual harassment. And like, this is not okay. Um, especially as like South Asian women, I think it's important that we call our boys out on it or like even women that are engaging in like um, sexual harassment as well because it is, it's not just one way. I've seen it both ways here, um, especially like on college, or on, on our college campus. And so I think it's super important that like we hold folks in our community accountable and that we don't feel the shame that, um, and that we don't shame one another for calling others out um, on like their actions. What about honor? Honor that rests among us, honor for our families. How can my entire family's honor rest in my vagina? <laughs> Heard that one before? <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, like being an older sister and being the older child. Um, I definitely felt and do feel the pressure that um, my actions reflect the like prestige of my family. They reflect like the quality of my family, like the way in which I act somehow is the representation of my value, my family's value systems. Um, I don't know if that I've, I feel that as much in college. I think it was like growing up, like you, you did feel that way. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that I think my, my values like aligned with my families, my direct families at least. Um, and I, I think I don't mind um, feeling like that connection, but the honor aspect of it is definitely difficult um, when you feel like there is, like anytime like 
you are involved in like some kind of shame or like someone in your family is involved in some kind of shame that automatically it's somehow tied to the entirety of a family. And I would say going back to the difference between a man and a woman, I have an older brother who got a scholarship to play football at Yale. And when he graduated and it was, oh, and he put that like, wow, you are so strong. Like you to see like a Sri Lankan American guy, you know, it's incredible what you're doing. Go to Yale, the academics. Wow. Everything. You are five stars. Amazing. And then seeing that and thinking like, damn, like I could do that. I could do it better. I can gonna, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get recruited. I'm going to do the same thing. And then when I did, it was, Anedua, what a nice hobby you have. That's so great of you. You know, don't spend too much time in the sun. You know, like, it's just the script totally flipped and it pissed me off. I was like, come on, like, it actually, toe to toe, like my accolades will go way higher than my brothers when it comes to sports, but they will never know that. They will never see past that, that masculinity, femininity. Um, they want me to be more feminine in my sport, you know? Thank God it's not a contact sport, things like that. And um, I think it goes back to that honor. It's like, we're both student athletes recruited to high level universities, but who's has the more, more honor here? So let's end on a note of looking forward. So I sit here, I'm in my 40s, and you're all kind of really young, you know, early 20s. What do you think life looks like 20 years from now, being South Asian, being female, being American? What, what does that landscape look, look like? I really think that in the next, like, 20 years, like, we're going to see a lot more, like, cultural melding. Um, which I don't think quite exists in the South Asian community. So like if you take um, like the African-American community, if you take um, the Latinx community um, in like the U.S., I think there's a lot of cultural mel melding. There's a lot of um, like like span like la la like Latino music that's like coming out now that a lot of Americans like have embraced. There's um, a lot of like, like black culture as much as it is like appropriated in this country. Um, I think we, we're greatly developing appreciation for it as well. And folks are definitely becoming more attuned as to what is the different difference between appropriation versus appreciation and celebration. And I think with the South Asian community, a lot of times like our culture is it's like known in that it's bright and vibrant, but like the specifics of it are like not well known. Like I think for the first time we're seeing representation in the media, we're seeing representation um, in movies and film um, that are American South Asian folks. I think we've seen like, I've seen like Canadian British folks. I've seen um, like um, different, like not Canadian British folks, but Canadian like South Asian folks and like British South Asian folks like in these spaces. And I think for the first time we're seeing like American South Asian folks and that's really, um, that's really, really cool to me. And I think it's going to continue. I think with, um, artists like Roger Kamari with people like Mindy Kaling with like um, Hasan Minaj like you see more folks that have our experiences as Americans that um, are also South Asian and I think that it's 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 going to be great to have um, to see yourself in in that and um, feel comfortable knowing that um, we don't have to like hide our culture because they've created like spaces that are unapologetically for our specific demographic. Um, in one of my classes recently, um, the class is on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and we had read an article by a civil rights activist 
Um, and he said one of the biggest or the biggest accomplishment of African-American people is the ability to um, assimilate into white culture. Um, and I remember looking around the room and just like seeing so many mixed reactions of like, yeah, that sounds right to like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I remember thinking and thinking, I sat there while everyone spoke and like, it, I was just trying to like, you know, take it all in. Um, and I was thinking like, that is something my parents' generation would say, or their parents' generation would say. My generation would not say that. My That's one thing that I have been like, like so obsessed with recently is that I've seen such a shift of our generation owning who we are, owning whether you're mixed or if you're first generation, third generation, whatever it be, like owning that part of your identity, um, that has just blown my mind away to see that difference. And I don't think I really put together until that moment of seeing like, it's a huge just generational shift of like, trying to assimilate into white culture versus owning your own culture making space for it forcing it into different um environments that has really given me so much power to not be like oh yeah i'm like just south asian like no i am sri lankan mm -hmm. fully and like i'm going to own it i'm going to wear a sari when i want to wear a sari um i'm going to eat my food when i want to eat my food and like that's it like there's nothing to it so i think seeing how empowered this generation is, I think is really what's going to take us forward. Do you think uh, your lives will be very different from your mother's lives? No, I hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. You think so too? Absolutely. I'm so grateful for everything that my mom has done and all these obstacles just so I'm here. My mom constantly tells me, Medhu, you don't know, I was married so young. You are so lucky to live out your 20s. And it's it's this weird thing where it's like, oh, mom, you're amazing. And thank you so much for giving me these opportunities. But let me be my own person, you know, like, let me be who I want to be. Let me figure out what South Asian means to me and let me figure out what it means to be a woman in this society. As much as it's going to be different, I think that difference is something that they want for us. Like as much as we sit here and talk about like the trauma and talk about how difficult like growing up has been um, within our communities, within our cultures, I think the one thing that I can like without a doubt say about my mother is that like she wants that life that I will probably have for me. And I think it's almost this thing of like, she wanted it for herself and didn't get that for herself. Um, and so much of the comments that I think a lot of older women make, a lot of older members of, of our community make, sometimes comes from a place of like, oh my gosh, like I wish I had that. Like I wish that was what I had grown up with. And it comes from not having had that. And it comes from that perspective. And I think it's absolutely amazing that we get to live those lives. Um, and take everything that they've taught us with us into those lives. Yeah, um, I think the the closeness of our families is sometimes a curse, but it's also such a blessing. Like, you know, being close to my mother, especially, she always tells me, you know, that I've like, that she's made mistakes, so that I won't make the same mistakes. And these are things that I can learn from. And so, of course, I think our lives will be different. But it's always there's always going to be that sameness in the fact that like we come from the same place the same culture and some things are just you know they exist regardless of your time and place I think one thing that you guys all kind of shared is um that openness that our mothers have had with us um I think that they 
very intentionally do that because maybe their mothers weren't and maybe there's their mothers didn't tell them that this is an obstacle you will have and i know because i went through that which i think it seems like our mothers do um and i can't thank my mother enough for being so open and vulnerable and telling me explicitly um things that she's had to deal with with my own father um with my own extended family um to know that like we're gonna make things better together you know so i think that's a huge advantage thank you so much all of you for being as open and honest and vulnerable and sharing this space with me thank you for sharing berkeley with me which has been wonderful um and your lives and your experiences and your voices i feel absolutely honored thank you for being part of masala podcast thank you thank so you much. thank you so much Before I arrived at University of California Berkeley, I wasn't sure what to expect. Would the American South Asian experience be very different from the British South Asian experience? But during my week with these awesome young women, I found that we had so much in common. We were all fighting the same old patriarchal systems, the same issues around female sexuality, around shame, around periods but i could see that these young women i had met were becoming strong powerful women while still staying connected to their culture i left berkeley feeling so positive about what the future looked like for south asian women all over the world if you've been affected by anything we've talked about in this episode please head to the show notes where i've listed some information about organizations which can offer help and support i'm sangeeta pillai thank you for listening to the masala podcast a spotify original masala podcast is part of my platform soul sutras what's that all about soul sutras is a network for south asian women a safe space to tell our stories a place to reclaim our bodies to tackle taboos within our culture to be exactly who we want to be get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos check out my website soulsutras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk i'm on twitter and instagram just look for soulsutras masala podcast was created by me sangeeta pillai produced by Hannah Walker Brown opening music by Sunny Robertson <laughs>